0: the brothers Whisk. the brothers Whisk, brothers Whisk. the brothers Whisk. the brothers Whisk. you're now listening to greg hey everybody brothers welcome Whisk to the brothers Wisp. this is episode number i'm just i'm just like i feel lost all of a sudden i was looking for my glasses and they're not on my head i always kind of adjust them in this weird way anyway we're on the brothers Wisp number 141 i am greg soul i am in Texas college station to be precise. And look at that. I picked, I pointed the, uh, the correct direction. Uh, with us today is Andrew thrift all the way from
1: Australia, mate from Brisbane and Australia. <laughs> Hopefully it's there's no the... crows for you today.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of the, uh, kangaroos in your background. And then you guys are going to host the Olympics pretty soon, right?
1: that's right yeah 10 years away I mean <laughs> soon
0: <laughs> that's pretty soon <laughs> I put the
1: kangaroos up because you got to give the people what they want and everyone expects that Australia is full of kangaroos so you know put it on yeah, display
0: but you're a Kiwi at heart so shouldn't you have some of those up there
1: but that's my adopt <laughs> All
0: right, whatever whatever we'll <laughs> take it uh and then also uh right below me I've got Mikey Hammett from Chicago, Chicagoland hello <laughs> hello everybody you're bored <laughs> all of a sudden uh and then also down here we've Very got nice. tommy c from uh, colorado colorado yep <laughs> excellent all right well we're gonna get into this one fast and furious style um because nothing's stronger than family now andrew thrift has gotta get out of here uh relatively soon we always keep him way too long so let's uh let's do this quickly uh we have a few new patrons. And you can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash the Brothers And you get access to the patron only slacks of this go around. We have, he said it's pronounced the way it's spelled. And I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's Jody Lamone. Lemoyne. Lemoyne. There you go. I'll take it. Then we have Warren, who didn't actually include a last name. So I'm not sure if he wants it said. And then we've also got Brett from Cali and Brad from Fort Worth. Uh, so yeah, a lot of good uh, new faces uh, in the uh, in the old Slack these days. We also have uh, only one sponsorship to read today, which is nice. It'll keep us uh, very quick and get us to the action, and that's TowerCoverage.com. Tower Coverage is your RF propagation system to empower your network, real-time data metrics, enable your coverage area, reaching your customer base, and more. The industry's best RF propagation mapping system allows website integration for customer sign-up and pre-qualification. Use this data to scientifically plan network expansion and help your WISC succeed. Get a free trial today at TowerCoverage.com. All right. You guys ready to jump right in? We sure are. The man promised me no crows, and what did I just hear? (laughs) (laughs) You
1: can't fight nature.
0: (laughs) Oh. Can't quit you and you can't quit the crows. All right, let's start (laughs) with the thing that uh, Thrifty is really here to talk about, and that would be the uh, plethora of Microtix stuff that dropped. So there is some new hardware, but Thrift has also been doing some version 7 testing, and there's also some Marvell chipset stuff he wants to talk about, and I'm not precisely sure which order you think would be the most relevant, whether you want to start with with the the new products out. You want it? All right. All right. Well, some of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So, uh, probably my very favorite thing is not the product itself, but the uh, video that accompanies it. And that's the RB5009. We wanted more Giannis Megas and they gave us more Giannis Megas. Although it seems to be the shortest video I've seen so far, but uh, I like it. They threw in a little humor. He's, uh, He's good on camera. I'm just waiting for his uh, OnlyFans to start up. I'll be his first uh, his first subscriber. So let's all encourage Giannis <laughs> to do more videos. But having said that, tell us a little bit about the RB5009, which is the first, but not the last in this series.
1: Right, so Microtik have come out with this new product that seems to be really targeted. Like, they're saying it's an RB4011 replacement. And I'm sure it is, but it seems to really be targeted around that kind of SMB edge kind of use case, like a CPE type use case for small and medium businesses, and around WISP towers. So previously with the RB4011, um, a lot of people were using it in WISPs, but they discovered it ran pretty hot, like blazing hot, this thing, because it had a really high heat output chipset in it. And the other thing with it is it had a really basic switch chip so it only had a real Tech switch chip in it so doing things like limiting uh, port speeds or um, dropping broadcast storms that sort of thing wasn't done in hardware on that product the rb5009 kind of uh gets around that it's got a more modern architecture so it's got a marvel armada 7040 this is a pretty powerful processor. It's basically got uh, like quad core, 1.4 gigahertz, 64-bit ARM cores in it, and it also has a Marvell switch chip. So pretty similar to their their other switches that they've got, like the CRS3 series. This has got a dedicated ASIC in it and it's quite an advanced one, not as advanced as the CRS3 series, but it's enough to be able to do the features that you used to be able to do on older products, e.g. the RB3011 and some of the HEXR2s and that sort of thing, where you were able to drop broadcast storms and hardware, limit MAC addresses on ports and all that sort of stuff. Now, why that's important is, that if you get a broadcast storm and it hits the CPU of a tower router, it's going to absolutely hammer that CPU, cause things like OSPF to drop out, MPLS in particular drop out, and can cause a cascading effect where routers on your network are flapping up and down because the CPU of one of them has been hammered and it just creates absolute chaos. Whereas with the 5009, and again the older ones like the 3011 and that sort of thing you're able to stop that from hitting the cpu and, and limit the effect somewhat or reduce the blast radius i guess you'd call it hmm. yeah so where this product's quite different is that it's an all-aluminum chassis um, it uses the chassis to cool the processor in it You can fit four of them into a single rack unit with this really nifty design that Microtik have come up with, and they must have put a huge amount of thought into that. It's quite cool. Um, It also will take uh, DC terminal inputs as well. So I know that was always a gripe of mine, is that they only had the DC barrel jack, and that's not really cool when you've got a whole bunch of gear in a rack. It's so easy to, to accidentally knock those bad boys out. The terminal outputs are screwed in there, so much less likely that's going to happen. Um, and it's also got this really slimline form factor where the ports are flush with the top of the case. So I thought that was quite neat. I'm not sure how that'll go long term with uh, <laughs> rough, Wisp engineers, but you know, the idea is awesome.
0: Yeah, I think it's there's there's a lot of things to like about this, and one thing <clears throat> in particular that kind of confused me, and maybe this is a translation thing, is that. Uh, in their in their description. So when you're looking at the hardware page on the first line it says the perfect home lab router. It's like Yeah. Why, why would you lead with that?
1: <laughs> like, that's what I thought was really bizarre as well. Like, yes, people use these for their home labs, but that's gotta be sub ten percent of the customer base that are buying these things. It, it's mostly Wisps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that that was just a weird little aside that just kind of I thought you know, I was just I I don't know, couldn't really figure out where that fit in. But um, like you said, yeah, it's very small, compact. I like, you know what I really like about this is it's industrial look. This looks like a carrier piece of equipment. And I know we've <laughs> argued this before. People say, you know, it's uh, it's not how big it is. It's how you use it, right? Every guy will tell you that. Um, but sometimes perception is reality with customers, right? So mm. if this thing looks like a hardened piece of industrial equipment, people are gonna, you know, feel better about it. So you know you've got that in your favor and then the idea of it being all aluminum chassis I love that too that means it's going to be a little bit tougher um you were talking about how the ports are mounted flush with the top which I found interesting I guess that was a a space saving design um but what I was glad to see is those ports that are mounted flush to the top that's where the tab actually is for the release on the copper ports so I was thinking if they put this (laughs) slim thing upside down and you screw it to a wall there's no way in hell you're getting those cables off and i was just thinking how hilarious it would be if they accidentally put those tabs down but they didn't they did it right uh so you're going to be able to get to something about it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely um but yeah i and uh, looking at the street price they're saying it's going to come in somewhere around the 200 range with is uh i think an incredible price for something with this much power one gig of ram one gig of flash uh, it's got eight copper ports one of those being a 2.5 gig port and then you've got your sfp plus cage in there so you can put in a 10 gig optic you know what else was interesting is one of the first things i did was i jumped into the block diagram which i encourage everybody to do whenever you look at a piece of hardware and it's a single switch chip right so it is it is like i think the most simple block diagram i've seen of, of any of theirs all eight ports go to a single switch chip that has a 10 gig lane Right into the processor. Um, And then you've got the SFP plus port, right, that has a 10 gig lane all its own, right? So you're not sharing any bandwidth between the two. So you actually could bring in, you know, some pretty big pipe. I mean, obviously, this thing's not going to be able to do every. Are they going to be able to do um, some of the hardware routing offload on this, you think?
1: Yeah, they are. Um, I mean, I'm not going to promise features that Microtech have to deliver, but but, uh, theoretically, uh, the capabilities
0: in the chipsets, right?
1: That's right. So the, the chipset that's in it, they call it the Marvel Amethyst. It's part of the Link Street family. It's like a little brother to the Prostera's that are in the other switches. Um, it's really hard to find out exactly what capability it has, but it does have a layer 3 forwarding engine in it, so they should be able to add the capability to forward from, say, the uh, SFP plus port to any of the other ports on the device and hardware. Um, which is going to be pretty awesome for Wisp towers, particularly if you're doing backhaul um, on that tower. It's going to be great. It's not going to need to touch the CPU of the device. And saying that, the CPU is plenty powerful. It can do something like 15 gigabits of, of forwarding on its own.
0: That's baller. Something else. Yes, uh, Go ahead, Mikey.
2: I'll, uh, I'll say, uh, I was looking at the test results, and um, even at 64 byte packets, um, routing with you know no rules or cues um it's still doing 2.3 gig like 2.3 gig at 64 byte packets that's pretty good you know going to 512 you know at 512 it's at 9.6 gig yeah. so i mean you know it'll you know it'll do a 10 gig through this yeah.
1: 200 dollars router now something I'll mention, um, it was mentioned in Yannis's video, this is the first of a series, so I fully expect that there's going to be other models of this. Something that's not widely known and Marvel make it hard to find out, the Armada 7040 is actually part of a family. Now you probably recall they purchased Cavium networks a few years ago. Um, now what they did is to kind of extend the Cavium family downwards, they renamed the um, Armada, I think it's the 8040, which is the big brother of the 7040 and that's now called the Cavium Networks uh, 9130 or 9132, depending on the configuration you get. But it's basically the same uh, layout, so the chip has got the same pins on the bottom, so they're interchangeable on the board. And by using that chip, you can get up to three 10 gigabit ports natively, Uh, on the chip, and you can also get uh, a lot more one gigabit ports on it as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if Microtik come out with other variations of this product that don't have such uh, tight heat constraints and use the Big Brother chipset um, to achieve, I guess, higher port counts and and that sort of thing on it. Uh, The other thing I noticed in the video, and uh, you'll notice this too if you watch it back in 4K, there's a lot of pads that are unused on the rb 5009s PCB and they distinctly look like pads for poe circuitry so i would not be surprised if in the next few months we see this come with poe output which for wireless isps is going to be an absolute killer product it's going to be able to replace the hex poe things like natonix's and other products and be able to do all of the layer two and layer three in a single box which is pretty cool
0: mm, One ring to rule them all first i gotta say you are a tremendous nerd, the fact that you put it on 4K and then zoomed in. <laughs> kudos kudos I to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you talked about the power options. There's three options to power this thing, which I think is cool. You've got the POEN on one of the ports, right? You've got the barrel jack, and that's always worked for a lot of the equipment. Although I don't really like putting POEN on the ethernet ports. I like to you know, be able to tell a tech, hey, you can just go in there and unplug and plug back in without having to worry about it and they've done away with this because everybody's complained <laughs> over time about why can't you just have a terminal that we can screw leads into and then plug into this box and they've finally done that and I, I assume that's what most people are gonna be doing is using the probably the DC jack and the terminal or maybe terminal and the POE I'm not really um, sure you know I, mean, I can't say who I know what anybody does let alone most people but a lot of flexibility a lot of options so I think it's really cool something else I'm curious about is they very prominently touted the full-size USB 3 port. Is that important Mm. in some way?
1: Well, a few people have complained about the previous products like the, um, was it the CRS109 and the old RB2011, which only had micro USB on them. So you required a dongle, which Microtik used to ship in the box with the product to get a full-size USB out of them. Whereas with this, uh, you don't need that. Um, and it will be great. You can plug in 4G, 5G dongles, that sort of thing, or or a USB flash drive, and you don't need any extra components to make that happen.
2: Except for
1: console. Yeah, no console for it. I noticed that straight away too, right? I
2: was like, so then how do you console into it? Because I've had a few devices that don't have console, and it's like, uh, one of the I think the RB like three oh five I have it. it kept dying and I had no idea why I could only know why it, like because I had all all my ports were assigned and when I turned on a function it stopped working
1: but none of my ports worked so I couldn't get into it and figure it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I mean this product's all about the form factor like you can fit four of them in one U so mm-hmm. they didn't really have room for it. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah. cut things somewhere. And I think that small so, size is going to serve people well. I mean, do you think a lot of people are going to have four of these jammed into one you in a rack, or are these going to be screwed to the wall in closets, or you know, slapped into boxes on the side of towers? I, I see that. Most Greg, more I would
1: like to say no, but I have seen <laughs> pictures of racks full of thirty-elevens where people are like basically allocating one per customer in a data center. So I think it's entirely oh, possible that people will be putting... Thing. I don't know. I'd personally run VMs, but hey. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's entirely possible that people will put a whole bunch of these together. Even for a tower site, if you want an, uh, distinct routers going to distinct backhauls or radios, yeah, you could put a bunch of these together and, and just link them up through a CRS305 or, or daisy chain the 10 gig ports together or something like that. I,
3: I thought this was like the router for Mike. I thought Mike hates routers. He or he hates switches. He doesn't run any switches in his wisp network. So I was like, I was like, I thought you would be all over
2: this, Mike. I mean, I would I would buy this for my router. Or, you know, <laughs> I would buy this for my towers. I like, I'm, I'm not included just, you know, to be a critic and got to fight
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a buy that. Like. <laughs> I like uh <laughs> that, that rack mount kit they're selling too. Uh one kit will do uh one router, two, router, three, router, four router, so you only have to buy one kit. And it looks like they're saying street price is gonna be like seven bucks. So it's really inexpensive. So yeah. there's really no reason not to pick it up if you're gonna, you know, throw it in a rack, make it look clean, why not?
3: Mm. I mean, I
1: like I love it's the fact. it looks baller. One thing that hasn't been mentioned, I uh, is, sorry, Mike. Uh, this is a RouterOS version seven only device.
3: I think but, uh, it's really
1: interesting that they're doing that now, and they're it. Is. it. But it uh, it had to be done. Like at some point, they had to. Oh yeah. Draw a line in the sand and kind of start putting products out on this. Now, the reason I did talk to the Microtech guys about this, and I'm like, hey, why is this V7 only? Even though I knew the answer, I just wanted to hear it. And uh, they're saying it's because that new Marvel uh, Amethyst chipset requires um, version 7, the new kernel. And that may be so, but I mean, I suspect a part of it has to do with the issues this older CCR 2004 had trying to run version 6. Um, I think it's kind of good to force customers onto version 7 at this point in new products.
0: So, does that mean we're probably going to see a stable version 7 release just for these 5009s then? I would assume so, yeah. Or is it going to be kind of a GA release, uh, version 7, before these things come out? You know, I'm thinking like what they did with the Chateau sort of thing.
1: Well, I've heard people mentioning and throwing around the date of August the 23rd for a GA or version 7, but. That's just a rumor, so
0: we'll see. <laughs> that would be insane. August the 23rd sounds like a very arbitrary like, day.
1: I know. I, I've seen it pop up like four or five oh. times in various places, uh, so I'm not sure if it's pure speculation, uh, but to me it is. It's probably
0: John Tully's birthday. Yeah. Probably.
2: But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the, um, something I just noticed is that the CPU on this, it, it, it's not a fixed clock. It is it auto range between three hundred and fifty and fourteen
1: hundred megahertz? Yeah, um, the um the Hepac two and the Capac do the same thing though. So oh, okay, um, yeah. yeah now, <laughs> interestingly, I remember with the HAP ac two and the Capac in the early days, those things you could fry an egg on them. They were they were boosting full speed all the time. But at some point, Microtik added the ability for the the clock to auto scale on them and. Yeah. Now the plastics on mine are no longer turning to a darker shade of brown and yellow from overheating.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turn into silly putty. You can. Uh, <laughs> they were press uh, press images into it. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's no, really. But, um. A
2: you know, tangent. You no, know, there's going to be future ones of this. Um. You know, perhaps with PE or whatnot. Um. I guess throwing out a future request. Um. I would like to see one, and maybe this one already does, work on uh, negative polarity DC power as well as positive. Yeah, um, this is this a pretty I big ask. Well, like I know many of them. Like, um, if you just check the, you know, the uh, actual pinouts, you can see if they actually, you know, it, if it's not rated as such, but it'll still work that way. Um, like you know, I've got a bunch of, I don't remember what Model Hex S's, I think they are, that um, they're not ready for NEG48, but they've been running NEG48 for three years. Um,
1: yeah. To do it yeah. safely though, they really need to have an isolated, like an actual transformer inside them. Now, some of their products like the old RB600, you guys pretty old like me, you'll remember that. That had the ability to do it because it had this massive transformer on the PCB. Um, I know in the past we've kind of complained about the lack of negative 48 volt DC. I know I certainly have to MicroTic, and they came out with products like the um, the modular power supplies for the CCR1072. Mm -hmm. There's another power supply that you can put inside the generation 2 of the 1036, as well as the RB1100AHX4. All of those products have got the transformers in them and isolate the outside input from the internal board voltage and that means you can run them safely on either power input, but it adds a lot of cost and complexity. So I suspect they're only going to offer that on products that are designed to go into telco rooms.
2: Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I've got a bunch of uh, 2004s with a bunch of DC power supplies waiting for the 2004s to be stable. Yeah. (laughs) The other
1: solution is, and I know when I was in New Zealand, um, a lot of the telephone exchanges were Neg 48 only, and uh, you're able to put your own equipment in there if you had the right contract with them. So a lot of people were getting 1036s and, and things like that and ripping out the internal power supplies and putting in the meanwhile well uh, railway power supplies, which will handle like minus 300 volts and a huge amount of voltage fluctuation and convert it over. So you can do that as a an option, and it's not pretty, but it works really well.
0: Yeah, that's one of the same thing. If you could just use some kind of boost buck converter or whatever and take that and I mean you're going to lose some uh, efficiencies there in the conversion but mm. these things are probably so low draw that it's not going to really kill you right that's right rock and roll
2: yeah, um, it's only 14 watts for this guy so you can lose a lot of efficiency of 14 watts and still
0: it'll be all right all right so you said yeah. you're speculating a poe version are you speculating a version that's got Wi-Fi built in? I wouldn't go that far.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) on the PCB, there are some things that look like M2 slots or mini PCI. You can't tell that the traces are just too tiny, even for my super nerd eyes, Greg. (laughs) Um, So it looks like there's something there. I don't know what it is. It could be just for a 4G, 5G card, Mm. or it could be for Mm Wi-Fi. But for them to have one of these with built-in Wi-Fi is going to obviously require a a different case. Um, I say bring back the old CRS109 form factor. I was a big fan of that, but you know, I'm only one guy.
3: (laughs) I I like the 1000. I I have so many of those stupid things, Um, the passive cooled ones in my network. Oh, I love those. And and that's why I I really like this, like the whole huge heat sink and such. it, it interests me I'm trying to find figure out a way to justify four of these in a single rack. I'm certain that I would find it something someday.
0: But uh it's a little hard. I could see I could see four. You've got two border routers, right, bring in separate internet connections and then you've got uh two like uh gateway two routers yeah. on the inside. Yeah. You could do something yeah, like that. That's sure. a good idea.
1: Back to the built-in Wi-Fi, like, it's entirely possible. I don't know if they're going to do it, but I think a better solution is to just have the PoE one and buy a couple of A C XLs or CapAXs or whatever they come out with next. It's going to work a lot better.
0: Hey, and I was just yeah. curious, just throwing it out there. I've seen them do it before. I was wondering if they were going to attempt it. What your thoughts were on this? I, I I like this form factor. I like what they're doing with it. So uh, hopefully they'll uh, continue down the, the same road with equipment Usually. in
1: I have to say, this is this is one of the nicer products that I've seen for a long time out of Mikrotik. They seem to have kind of had all the pain points that I hear from wireless ISPs that I've done work with in the past, so uh, it's a really good job.
0: Hmm. All right, you guys ready to move on to the next piece of hardware? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Oh, but before uh, we get out of there, I think in that video too, the 5009s, they were comparing it performance-wise to the CCR 1016? 1,009. They were. I, th- I thought I mentioned yeah. the the 1016 in there at some point. I might be crazy, though.
1: That might have been in the CCR 2004 video, Greg.
0: Oh, is that what I'm thinking of? Ugh.
1: Yeah, I think it is. All right, there you go. This thing here, they were comparing it with the RB4011, uh, and it is going to beat it in some areas and perform about the same in others. Now, the reason for that is that because this is a version 7 device, so I'll get a bit deep here on the technical side, it runs a newer Linux kernel that doesn't support route caching. So in RouterOS version 6, it actually cached the route lookups in RAM, so it could do a really, really quick per packet lookup of that. The product the problem with that is, is that that cache can get stale. Now, if you've ever tried to do MPLS or really high-scale <laughs> layer three on router OS six, you've almost certainly encountered stale route cache entries where a route will change, but the traffic keeps going where it used to uh, until you basically drop the uh, interface and bring it back up, or you reset the router. Um, in version seven, there's no route cache, so you don't get stale routes. However, it needs to do a lookup for every single, I guess, route or session. So it is going to be a little bit slower there. Um, depending on the platform, it could be minimal, like 1 to 2 percent. But on the ARM ones, I expect it's going to be 20 to 30 percent performance difference from version 6. It's, uh, and that's a Linux kernel, really a MicroTik thing, right? That's right. It's a kernel thing, not a MicroTik thing. And On products that have got hardware forwarding, um, e.g. the CRSs and some of the other products, it's not going to affect them. Mm-hmm. It's just on ones that are doing software-based forwarding that it's going to be um, not an issue, but you just got to take that into consideration. Um, I don't think it's a big thing because processes are getting way faster these days. So just use CPU speed to overcome it.
0: So yeah, and this may have already been interest, or uh, answered and it may be perfectly obvious to everybody else, but I remember uh, when they first started introducing hardware offload in the switching chips, uh, mm-hmm. They, have, bit, At first, it was you had to do very specific things uh, to get it to use the um, the switching hardware offload. And then at some point, there was like a tipping point where they changed it so that if you created a bridge interface and you added ports to it, if it had hardware capabilities, it would just enable them, right? And so you could go that's in there and right. you could see it. And that was great. So you didn't have to think about that anymore. Do you think that's the direction they're going to go with the routing? If it's got hardware offload at some point, it'll just do it. You won't even have to think about it.
1: They're already there for some things. So there's already a hardware fast track where it'll offload it onto the Prostera chips. Now I'm not sure what's going to come on these Link Street ones or the Amethyst chipsets, but I imagine it's going to be similar to that. Okay. So it'll offload it onto the, onto the chip. It may be a pure um, layer three like all packets kind of thing rather than a per session basis like the fast trackers but it's certainly possible and and they're already heading in that direction in OS V7.
0: Which I like. I don't have to think about Mm, it. If it can take the optimized route, it'll just do it. I think that's definitely the way to go with that. All right, so you mentioned the 2004. You ready to talk about it a little bit? Yep.
1: Now, the CCR 2004 is the other new product. There's a video for this as well that Paul's did. Quite an interesting product. On the surface, it's very similar to the previous CCR 2004, the one with a bunch of 10 gig ports on it and 25 gig ports. But if you look at the block diagram, it's actually very different. Now, the product, um, I guess, name on this is a CCR 2004-16G-2S Plus. So it's got 16 1 gig ports on the front of it and two SFP Plus ports. Um, now, the block diagram on this product is, again, the really interesting point. It looks really similar to the 5009. So they've obviously learned a fair bit in uh, using this architecture. The difference from the 5009 is that instead of one of the Marvell Amethyst chips, it actually has two on it. So it has a different CPU, which is the Annapurna Labs or Amazon ARM CPU. Um, it's got four 1.7 gigahertz cores in that. And then one of the 10 gig ports on that chip goes to the first Marvell switch chip and the other one goes to the second Marvell switch chip. So there's two groups of eight ports that are hardware accelerated on this. And uh, yeah, it looks like a pretty cool product. The two 10 gig ports that are on the front of it, those are not switched. They are direct to the CPU. So where I see this as being a great product is for terminating uh, a bunch of IX connections or acting as like a a provider edge router into a site with a bunch of customers on it or at a larger WISP pop. um, It's going to be a pretty powerful device.
0: So you you went out of your way to mention that these SFP ports don't actually go into the switch chips themselves. So does that mean they're not going to be able to do kind of the hardware switching offload sort of? That's
1: correct. So they'll need to use fast path or one of the software based mechanisms to accelerate the traffic throughput. Um, But yes, you're correct, Greg.
0: Okay. So think of this more like a traditional CCR, a router, right? As opposed to the CRS, which is going to be your switching line.
1: That's right. This is like a, a high touch router. You can run PPPoE on this and you can do MPLS and all those really high CPU overhead type functions, and it's going to handle it all because of the big clock speed that it's got available. But at the same time, if you want to switch between a bunch of ports or you want to block broadcast storms, you're able to do that on the um, switched ports on it, which is where most people want to do it. Most people trust their backbone, which would be on the 10 gig ports, and they don't trust their customers, which would be on the 1 gig ports. So (laughs) yeah, the architecture here is, is pretty good, I think. Now, the other thing that's really new on this product and stuck out more than anything else is this is the first uh, short-depth product from Microtik that has hot-swappable power supplies, finally. So in the past, Microtik have launched a whole bunch of CCRs like the 1009, 1016, and 1036 that had dual power inputs, but they weren't hot-swappable. So if you manage to blow one of those power supplies, you said keep going until the other one blew or someone unplugged the other <laughs> power supply. Whereas on this, it's hot swappable. Um, they look really cool. And hopefully we see um, other variations on the power supply, e.g. one that can take DC input or negative 48 volt to um, keep my cafe. But uh, definitely a huge step in the right direction here.
0: Yeah, they're saying street price of around 450 US. Which I think is yep. pretty fair for the amount of power you're getting in this box and the functionality. Actually, I could uh, I see a place for this in my in one of my networks already. It's the same CCR mm-hmm. form factor you know and love. It's got the same look. Um, console port right on the front, which was missing from the five thousand nine, but it's <laughs> present here. So I mean, it's a good looking oh, basic yeah, you got kit. A
3: lot. Yeah, you got a lot. lot bigger. I seeing as they compared this with the 1009 i really hope that they come out with the passive cooled version of this as well because it's, with those dual power supplies that would be just pure magic
1: it was so it would there marathon. is a passive version of this on the roadmap okay mm. oh cool. good so that that was mentioned in the video um I doubt it has the hot swappable power supplies. I'd say it's pretty similar to the 1009 and the CRS 309, where it's got the um, DC terminals or jack on the back of it. Well, cool. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. them mentioning
3: that there were other versions coming. I didn't know if there was a password. It's been a couple of weeks
1: since I've looked at that video. Yeah. So. I don't know. This is another product I see with a huge amount of potential. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the CCR 1009 goes out of production or becomes unavailable shortly. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if it did, because this really looks like a replacement for both the 1009 and the 1016 CCRs. Um, pretty much does everything they do. Um, the only thing it doesn't have is that uh, option with the 16 SFP ports on the front. It's, it's copper only, um, but I mean, there's almost certainly going to be other variations of this product. And like Greg, I can see places for this and my network and, and, and customers networks as well. It's a cool product. Um, the other thing is, I'll mention it again, it is RotorOS version seven only. So you can think of this as like a 5009 on steroids in some ways. Mm. Yeah.
0: It looks good. If, if- does it,
2: uh it, uh and looking at the you know uh 512 byte packet performance uh routing no queues or filters 22 gigs so that's or, or sorry 21 gigs so that's for a 400 router
1: oh yeah very much so it,
2: it uh Another thing I noticed as I was looking at the block diagrams, as uh, was referenced, kind of led me to something else I've been thinking about over the years. Microtik seem to be awfully inconsistent with the s- amount of storage they put on a device. <laughs> and yep. I don't understand, like, because it's not, I assume it's not part of the chipset. I assume it's a separate device, you know, separate chip. So then why does a 5009 have a full gig? With the CCR, which is a higher series, twice the price, only have 128.
1: Does I wouldn't be surprised. If, it depends on how it communicates with the system on a chip, because every system on a chip is different. Some of them use SPI, some of them use um, what's it called, not micro SD, but it's a related standard basically to communicate with the with the system on a chip. So it really depends on, on how it's talking to it and what's available. I know a lot of the SPI flash is only available in like 16 megabyte type sizes. Um, and that's why some of the products like the, what's a good example, Cap AC only have 16 megabytes in them. Yeah, whereas some of the other ones that use the, uh, the other f- format, I can't remember the name of it, they can support a lot more. They can support like 40 gig or 64 gig kind of flash storage on them. Well, one other, check, please thing. confirm that.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, oh, I mean, well, I'm
1: just, thing. I'm purely guessing here, but I'd say
2: that sure what it is. Sure. Well, you know, I, I tend to place a high uh, percentage of, your guesses because, you haven't really, guessed catastrophically wrong. So. Mm-hmm. Well, one other
3: thing that I've noticed is the th- the thing that makes the one thousand nines really good and like awesome and the whole 1000 series is using the tile architecture, you have lots of CPU cores that you can throw at problems. Um, so like when you look at the test results, between the like for the this 2004 with 16 ports, mm-hmm. you have your 14 gate, like you, you're routing none fast path, you're at right around 30 gigabits per second. Routing 25 simple queues, you lose half of your speed there Whereas for the 1009, you're hovering right around 15 gigs um, speed for all the te- different tests that they show, until you get around to routing IP fire filter rules, then you lose your speed. So there will be some you know slight negatives, and the 1000 series may have a place in certain like large PPPoE tunnel termination or stuff like that um, where you can. Parallelize it like queues. Look, for me, which is the one thing, is queues. I,
1: I use a shitload of them. So, um, P- potentially, but, um, it'll be interesting to see when you've got a large number of queues, particularly when you're terminating high speed services, like over 100 megabits, how it scales when you start doing that. Cause that mm-hmm. was always the weak point of the, of the CCR 1000 series. They kind of handled queues up to maybe 200 megabits. And when you started doing simple queues over that, they really just could not hack it because the tiny little CPU cores were only like 1 gigahertz and they started to top out then. Whereas this having larger CPU cores with a higher um, instructions per clock rating, it should handle that a little bit better. It might not be able to terminate as many connections in total, but the ones that are terminated should perform a lot better than on the 1009 and 1016, I would think. Yeah. The other thing is, obviously, um, we've talked about this in the past, the um, high instructions per clock performance and the higher clock speed on this should lend themselves to significantly better BGP performance. So if you're terminating mm-hmm. a bunch of IX connections onto this device, it's going to perform far better than even a 1072. Oh, yeah, I absolutely. Yeah. My 2004
3: that I have, it's magical how fast yeah. it was BGP rats. I love
1: it. Yeah. They're pretty pretty awesome for that yeah um so one thing i have touched on before these switch chips um have got hardware acls in them now i mentioned you can use it to stop broadcast storms the other thing you can do is if you've got this in an mdu or somewhere like that you can actually set an acl on the ports to only allow pppoe traffic through so you can block all ip traffic in hardware only allow pppoe in hardware and protect your i guess your routing Uh, backbone of your network or the CPUs in this device from even seeing that traffic at all. Um, You can do the other thing to stop rogue DHCP servers. Um, You can do that all on the switch chip with the ACLs. So for people who are doing customer termination, these things are going to be magical. Oh, that is beautiful.
3: Wow. I didn't know you could do that. I I guess it makes sense because
1: of how the packets are formed. But that's awesome. Mm. That's epic. Um, it's like a lot of people with the another product from Microtik, the CRS3 series. They've got IX connections coming into the ports on those. You can use the ACLs on those to block things like broadcast storms again. You can use it to block uh, Roamon and uh, neighbor discovery traffic. So even if someone absolutely misconfigures something on your network, people out on the IX are not going to be able to discover devices on your network. So there's plenty of use cases for the uh, access control lists that are built into these hardware switches. And if you're using them, I highly recommend you look into how to use that functionality and get familiar with it because there's a lot of of value there that can protect your network.
0: Very cool. Well, Thrift, we don't have much time left on you. So I know you've done some Version 7 testing, and then you also had some additional thoughts on uh, some Marvell chipset stuff. Which, uh, which Do, would you chase down? Which would you prefer? Go through
1: the version 7 stuff first. So, yeah, as you will know, version 7 is in beta now. Um, it doesn't seem like many people are testing it. Uh, people are testing kind of it on smaller devices and doing things like WireGuard and uh, I guess the new Cake and Codal queues which is cool, but for me, I'm more interested in the routing side of it. And this is a bit of a moving target, so Mikrotik are changing it, they've changed it quite a lot recently. The routing part though really needs testing, so I'd advise if you've got some spare equipment out there in a lab, e.g. not a production environment, then uh, (laughs) please test it and provide feedback to Microtik, because the only way this is going to get stable and feature-rich is if people provide feedback. MicroTech can do a lot of testing internally, but all of the use cases they come up with probably don't match the use cases that we as end customers are going to be testing and come up with. So yeah, go and test it. But um, what I've been testing is um, all of the core cool routing functionality. So I've, I've built a small lab with a couple of old 3011s, some junipers and other things thrown in there, running MPLS between them and OSPF and things like that. And I've got VPLS tunnels stood up between the junipers and version seven and version six routers, and likewise between version six and seven, just to see how it's all coming along. Um, up until uh, router OS, version 7.1 Beta 6, this was pretty broken. Uh, from that point onwards though, it actually works. LDP tunnels do come up and do work. Uh, I've also been testing the BGP route filters. Now I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. They were really uh, quite interesting. They had some major flaws in the way that they were implemented. Like. The functionality was cool, but using it was really difficult. You had to say you wanted to specify an AS number, you had to specify that the AS number field was a string or an integer, or you had to specify the type of the fields, which no. was pretty horrific. Now, I mentioned that on one of the previous podcasts, and, and I mentioned it to Micritic as well directly, and they seem to have resolved that. So from 7.1 Beta 7, which is going to be out shortly, it's not out at the moment, you can just specify AS number, type an AS number in, and it works. So they're kind of really uh, narrowing down the syntax that's going to be used for route filters and it's starting to look quite powerful. Um, it's definitely a much larger learning curve than it was in Routerwise version 6, but at the same time that means the performance is going to be much much higher than OS version 6 ever was. So uh, yeah, it's all looking pretty positive there. Yeah, that's the most of the testing that I've done though. I haven't really done anything outside of the routing.
0: Mm. How, many, uh, how many bugs have you filed so far?
1: Um, actually, on the routing side, only a handful. Nice. Um, and there were more observations than bugs. I did discover one that I'll give them a pass on where you'll change settings to do with LDP and Winbox, and the running state doesn't reflect them. But currently, the routing engine is only very loosely glued into Winbox, um, so they're still integrating that. If you're testing this, I'd highly recommend you do all of your config changes via the CLI,
0: hmm.
1: and you use the monitor function to actually check that they they have actually been put in place by by the underlying forwarding
0: plane. Yeah. So is it mostly um... Feature requests, I guess, or augmentations, is that most of what you've been kind of submitting in?
1: That's right, yeah. So I've submitted in a few things about it, not a huge amount. I know other guys out there like Kevin Myers have been submitting a whole lot more back to them, but the more people that are doing it, the better.
0: Huh. Rock and roll.
1: Mm. So the other area that I've been doing a bit of testing with, though, is multi chassis lag. Um, I know this interests a lot of people here, not just me. Uh, but Microtik added the ability to run MC lag or M lag as they call it in uh, RouterOS 7.1 Beta 6 on all of the CRS 3 series switches. So you're now able to effectively run two switches that are completely independent as a cluster and run lag ports to two devices at once, which is really good because it means you can do a firmware update on one of those CRS devices in the cluster and it can reboot and your traffic will just go through the other one. And At the same time, it's not a stack, but you're getting very similar functionality to a stack. Um, Now, the benefit of that is in a stack, generally, if you have a problem with the control plane, the entire stack goes down, which I'm sure if you're running old Cisco 3750s, you've seen before or um, Juniper's virtual chassis. Whereas with a multi-chassis lag, that can't happen. they're completely independent they just share some information about the link aggregation group and they control the forwarding of packets so i set that up with a couple of crs 317s and i've actually set it up in production on a couple of crs 326s the ones with all the 10 gig and 40 gig ports on them and uh it works uh in version and beta 7 so 7.1 beta 7 it, it actually works i wouldn't say it's completely production ready but i feel confident Putting it into like a limited production role, um, and I've got that set up working with a couple of Q and Q VLANs that are coming into one of the switches, uh, and then being passed out across a multi-chassis lag into a couple of CCR 1072s, and it just works. You're able to fail ports, uh, link aggregation ports out to the 1072, keeps going you 're able to fail ports between switches it keeps going it just seems to sort out all of the little edge cases and and doesn't get split brain and, and do anything funky with the traffic so
0: yeah
1: works really well.
0: That's cool so it's not so, just a very simple failover where it's just one access port and another access port you're actually doing some complicated configurations.
1: That's right yeah so um, a lot of ISPs and wisps that I've worked with in the past will take. Dual ENNIs that are put into a link aggregation group from a service provider. That way, they can perform maintenance on their switches, or the service provider can can perform maintenance on their switches. And having a multi-chassis lag allows you to handle that, and and it works quite well.
0: Yeah. Well, rock and roll. It.
2: Uh, it. Um. And then you know, if you're thinking of you know, you know, where would I actually use this? When you have it, it's the use cases will just come to you. It's like, yo, know, why one run cable when I can run two? Like I do that everywhere now. It's like, oh, I you know, I need to connect this device into my network. I just automatically assume I'm going to get to each switch every time. And you know, and it uh you know, obviously some devices it doesn't make sense, but it's like I just think of you know, I can make it redundant
1: all these places. So I do. Yeah, definitely. It's great for redundancy and that sort of thing and and making your network highly available. It also means that you can um, put dual switches in front of your CCRs and use those ASICs to protect the CCRs from, again, broadcast storms and other attacks that are on IX ports or upstream NNIs. So yeah, really great for that. Highly recommend it. So the other thing is, I've I've talked about this a long time ago. It would have been years ago. A common architecture that I'll run for ISPs and WISPs is switch centric, whereby the switches take all of the external connections or NNIs and all of the links back to other parts of the network, and then they pass them to routers over a multi-chassis lag. Now, I've traditionally used extreme networks and Cisco and Juniper to do that because they had the functionality. But with this functionality, um, a lot of ISPs are able to now use the lower cost CRS chips and keep their knowledge uh, around a single platform instead of having to learn multiple new platforms to get it all working. And The reason why I've run that switch-centric architecture is it means that you can say take an NNI from a a wholesale service provider or a third-party provider, and you can feed it into say a, a little CCR 1009 today, But if you want to upgrade to a new CCR 2004 or a Juniper or something, instead of having to physically move those connections across to the router, you just plug that router straight into your switch uh, front end, pass the uh, VLANs or um, Q&Q VLANs across to the new router, and then you can write scripts to move the services automatically for you from the old routing platform to the new one, and you don't need to effectively... um, take down production connections up to a third-party provider to move it across to a new router. So it means that you can transition a lot more smoothly than you would um, using the traditional big box router with the provider plugged straight into one of the front end ports.
0: I think it's cool too um, that you can do uh, packet captures or things like that. Right, like on any of those sources before they actually hit your equipment to see, you know, am I the problem or is it actually somewhere out on the provider Correct. side? So for sure.
1: So there's a lot of benefits to the architecture. Um, I think there's a really good web page uh, from IP Architects that has some information on that. But it is quite a common uh, architecture. People used to call it router on a stick. It's more commonly now known as a switch-centric ISP architecture, though. So have a look around and you'll find plenty of information on
0: that. All right, rock and roll. Well, we got that, just uh, a little bit of your that, time. Go ahead, Mike. That,
2: uh, and the cost savings is, oh, is it, the cost savings is drastic because I've recently bought a few uh, used uh, Extreme Summit uh, X six just the G ones, and they were five thousand dollars each or four thousand dollars each or something like that. Wow,
1: it like, must be a shortage of them. We used to buy them for a few hundred each, Mike.
2: It uh. Like like I couldn't like that was that was the cheapest way that I could find of any OS, you know, do MC lag, do you know multi VLAN, SNMP, do you know all those? Like it was a couple grand a piece. It was like, yeah. Man, so being able to go to a CRS for three hundred dollars. Uh, now I would probably still wait a year or so before I put it into production. but Yeah.
1: <laughs> so because this features an early beta um, test, test, and test again before you trust it and put it into your network, but it's certainly coming along. Um, it's at the point now where I, I trust it reasonably
0: well. Hmm. Rock and roll. Well, but uh, I would ask you, do you still have time to talk about the uh, Marvel stuff? I do. Uh-huh.
1: Briefly. Yeah, I've got, right. got 20-odd minutes to go. Yeah. All
0: right, well, let's let's wrap it up for you.
1: Okay, then. so Marvell recently announced that they were acquiring a company called Inovium. So this is the brief part of news. Um, Now Inovium make really high-end switch ASICs, so there's a couple of vendors that make the high-end switch ASICs. One of them is Broadcom. Marvell used to, but they kind of, I don't know if they were asleep at the wheel, but they kind of got out of that space. And they've acquired two companies that do make them. So one of them was a few years ago. They quite can't remember the name of it. They acquired a company that was making the switches, a uh, switch ASICs that uh, Netflix were using on their pairing routers. But since then, they've also acquired a Now, a make these huge ASICs that are fully programmable and can forward like terabits of traffic and hardware. And you can rewrite the packet, I guess, forwarding architecture in them to to change what they can forward. So you can forward maybe MPLS labelled packet and hardware, but if the MPLS format changes, you can just rewrite the information in ASIC and it will forward the new packet um, format, whereas previous switch chips or ASICs, you are fixed on what you could forward. But Broadcom did have the ability to also do that. So Marvell now have that capability, Um, but I believe the reason why they've purchased them is just the fact that Inovium had a lot of uh, market share or um, I guess the service large providers that were deploying those data center switches were thinking of Broadcom and Innovium. They weren't thinking of Marvell. So they've effectively purchased a position in that marketplace with the hyperscalers like um, Azure, like Microsoft Azure and AWS They were developing their own switches around the Innovium silicon and around the Broadcom silicon. Marvell can now play in that space. Do I think this is going to become a microtech product or a product relevant to Wisps? Probably not, but in a few <laughs> years, you're going to see these products come onto the used market from vendors like Arista and, and ex, I guess, AWS and Azure equipment, and it might be useful for your ISP to forward traffic at that point. But the announcement that is more relevant to um, smaller ISPs and WISPs is Marvell have a new chipset called the Pristera 7K. Now, this was kind of announced, I think, last December, but we haven't really covered it. Um, it's got a bit of coverage on the, um, I guess, IT news sites since then, though. So the 7K series is pretty similar to the existing uh, 3K and 8K series that we've kind of seen before but they've got three models in it, the DX7312, um, which can do 300 gig of throughput, um, 7325, which will do 1.2 terabits, and the 7335, which will do 1.6 terabits. Now, what these add over the existing chipsets that Microtik are using is they add the ability to do things like MACsec and hardware. So you can effectively select a port, put a crypto uh, algorithm, or key on that port, and then put one at the other end, and it's now going to encrypt in hardware all of that traffic at wire speed. So if you're running uh, effectively private links across leased fiber, Mm -hmm. or across someone else's layer two, you're able to encrypt the traffic in the switch chip between those two endpoints. So for high security environments, or environments where you don't want people sniffing your traffic, or even if you don't want things to get misconfigured, this is another way you can prevent that. You can effectively put that AES key or that key on there, and unless the other end's got it, that's not going to link up. So that's a pretty cool feature. They also support 400 gig optics, so most of these chipsets have got what's called a 50 gig CERTIS. Now, 50 gig is what makes up 100 gig. So you've got two times 50s and 100, or sometimes four times 25 and 100 gig connection, um, but it also makes up the 400 gigs. So you're able to do 400 gig optics inside these switches. They have the same features as the existing Prosteras, so they'll do things like MPLS and layer 3 slash 4 forwarding in hardware on the ASIC. But they also add the ability to do things like um, segment routing with IPv6 into hardware, so some quite high-end features. Um, and they use the same API as the existing Prestera chips. So vendors like Microtik and Ally Telesis and, and other guys who are using the Marvell chipsets will be able to integrate this into their product
0: portfolios fairly easily. That's interesting. All right. Well, paint me a picture. If there was going to be a Microtik product that had the Marvel Prestera in it, the 7K, yep any of the models, what would that router look like? What's the port accompaniment look like for you?
1: So I would say, I mean, I can't imagine Microtik using one of the big boy versions of these. I don't know if the the market's ready for them yet. But the lower end one, the DX7312, which supports 300 gig of throughput, or maybe the mid-range one that supports up to 1.2 terabits. You could see a switch that has got 12 times 25 gig ports on the front of it. Or you might see a switch that has two 400-gig ports or four 100-gig ports, and then a bunch of 25-gig ports on the front of it, and that's capable of forwarding in hardware. That's what I would expect to see. I don't think there's much demand out there from uh, Microtix customers for (laughs) 400-gig, but you never know. Mm. The chipset supports it, but... Yeah, I I kind of thought that a lot of the industry was
3: kind of skipping over 25 gig. Um, at, at least when I've been getting quotes for like upstream bandwidth, um it's been that that all the all the sales guys are like, "Well, we can do 25, but we'd prefer to just sell you at 40 or, you know, maybe that's just salesmanship." But
1: Yeah, probably a salesmanship. So the common speeds seem to be 10 gig, uh 25 gig and 100 gig. That seems to be what the market is doing. 40 gig died. I mean, you can pick up cheap 40 gig gear because no one's using it. It's all been pulled out of data centers because they've upgraded to 100. Um, Telcos have never been big on 40 gig because it's an absolute pain in the backside for them to deliver it. They'd much rather just deliver you a 25 or 100 because the equipment's more commonplace. It's easier for them to do that. Okay, maybe I got a bit mixed around between 40 and 10. The, or 40 the, and 25. the beauty of 25 gig is it uses a single wavelength. <clears throat> so if they've got it on a DWDM system, they can use a single wavelength to deliver 25 where they could previously deliver 10. So <clears throat> it can be treated optically the same way as a 10 gig is. uses the same 20 nanometer kind of channel to do that. So it's perfect for that sort of upgrade quite easily. And I think that's sure. what's really good. Yeah, it should. <clears throat> so I think sure. that's what's really I'll- good about yeah. Microtik supporting the 25 gig is that if you've already got waves running between routers that are running 10 gig, you can quite easily just put 25 gig gear on the end of it, and not have to worry about it.
2: it uh, uh, I've spent some time trying to find 25 gig or 40 gig waves, and then they sell me 10 or 100. not wouldn't, wouldn't even talk about the others. It's like, okay, well, 25 should be the same as 10 of all Not doing that's
1: it. on a that's on like okay. a, a wholesale DWDM platform you mean? Yeah. That's oh, quite sure. common. So okay. on those wholesale DWDM platforms, yeah, you'll get, you'll either get 10 or 100, yeah. and you probably won't get much. That's else. mostly what we've that's seen more,
0: too.
1: Yeah. It's mostly if you're running your own passive DWDM system, you're able to use 25 on the same channel with you were previously doing 10. And you can get optics to do that from the likes of fs.com, and no doubt Microtink will have some as well.
2: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it, um, our uh, our uh, iX is looking at uh, swapping out all of our 10s for 25s because uh, we've finally got enough switches out there that support 25 that it just, just Yeah, 20, 25 is a new 10.
0: It,
2: um, and it looks like uh, from 5... 10 kilometer at once are only 60 bucks. So it's not even, you know, not
1: even that much. No, no. So yeah, I see this, there's a high likeliness of there being microtech products based around these chipsets in the future. I don't know when, but it just makes sense. It kind of lines up with their current product portfolio. The fact that they've got products with 25 gig on them already, but they don't have any CRSs with 25 gig. Mm. I mean, makes sense. They're going to have a 25 gig CRS at some
0: point or 100 gig CRS at some point you, in the near future. You can't throw that out there without at least speculating on when we'll see it. So you think in a year from now, two years from now, what do you, what do you reckon?
1: I would have said now, but the fact that there's a massive silicon shortage tells me we won't see it till next year. Right. If we see it beforehand, I'd be impressed and surprised at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of, most people probably know this. A lot of these silicon vendors have got 60-week lead times at the moment. So the likes of Qualcomm, Atheros and and various parties like that have got massive lead times on their products. Um, so getting hold of these things is quite hard. That's why a lot of vendors have kind of held back on their Wi-Fi 6 rollouts. It's because they just can't get the chips. So, yeah. Yeah. and it's affecting it's affecting all parts of the industry. So,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean. Um- there's a um automotive plant not far from me uh i believe they they're just going to be starting up uh in the next week or two they've been shut down since march yeah like they have you know massive facilities cranking out tons of cars haven't produced a car in five months because they couldn't get chips
1: that's right there's apparently a whole bunch of uh I won't name them. There's a whole bunch of trucks that are sitting somewhere near you, Mike, that are completed but have no ECU in them. Yeah. Like tens of thousands of them or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy.
0: That's wild. Well, they just put some Arduinos in there and call it a day.
1: I know. They could do that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that would be nice, and then people would figure out how to put their own Arduinos in. Then they don't have to spend
1: $2,000 on it. There Bloody. is actually an, an Arduino-based ECU called the Speedwino, which I came across in my various journeys around the internet. It looks pretty cool. You can control like a four-stroke engine with them.
0: <laughs> and that's all you need, to be
1: honest with you. Yeah. I don't so if hear- you want to learn about ECUs, go and look at those.
0: Speedwino. I just like that it has Wino in the name. Sounds ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Andrew, we got to get you out of here. So we'll, uh, we'll sign yeah. you off and then... Uh, maybe cover one or more, two things uh, in here. So Andrew Thrift, if folks want to get a hold of you out on the internet, how would you have them do it?
1: Uh, Look me up on LinkedIn, Andrew Thrift on LinkedIn. and happy to add you and talk to you on there.
0: All right, rock and roll, man.
1: Thanks for uh, for having me on, Greg, and listening to the ramblings of a madman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you always come with uh, that amazing hair. Don't think I didn't notice that swoop. It looks beautiful, (laughs) sir.
1: Got to style it while I've got it, mate
0: that's right if you don't use it uh you'll lose it so take care of it so uh, okay see you guys take care bud yeah andrew time but again questions comments thank you guys uh for listening all of you patrons patreon.com forward slash brothers lists uh we sure appreciate you guys and uh we'll talk to you next time so now's the part where i say that i click stop so that tommy can hear me say Facts, we're not and disappointing. To stop Just give us a listen. Cause way. fun is the mission. I'm telling you, you don't know what you are missing. Ideas and some good.